All right, crazy different Sunday today. So uh, normally we will now read scripture, do a kid's sermon, take a little bit of a break. We're not going to do that. So we would love if your kids could hang out with us in the service. If they're young or flying around and that's too, too hard for you, the nursery time that would normally be coming in about 10 minutes is coming now. So if you want to kind of slide out with your kids, if not, I'm only going to be teaching for about 10 or 15 minutes, and we're going to be hearing the testimonies of those who are being baptized, and then we're going to sing and pray together. So it's okay if it's a little bit noisy in here today. If you're going to make use of nursery, now would be the time when you would go let them hang out there for 20 or 30 minutes. Okay, it's raining out. It's cloudy. It must be Baptism Sunday at Seven Mile Road. Does anyone know how we can get 60 consecutive sunny days? And then once we're going to hit the beach, the lake, it's going to be cold and wet. Okay. In this season, uh, our gracious Father has, by His Spirit, moved on the hearts of some men and some children in the life of our church, uh, calling them to Himself causing them to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, in who he is and what he has done for them, uh, forgiving their sins and freely giving them this, this gift of salvation in his name. And so as soon as we're done here together this morning, we're going to literally leave everything right where it is. We're going to jump in our cars and drive about four miles west to the Medford-Winchester line to Upper Mystic Lake, um, and Andrew and Jesse and Savannah and Lauren are going to march into the, the wet waters of baptism, and they will be joyfully and obediently participating in this first command and this simple but glorious sign that Jesus has given to those who become his, the washing of baptism and that grace, and they'll be showing on the outside the grace that has become real to them on the inside. When we get out into those waters, we will ask each of those folks to repeat after us their confession of faith in Jesus as Lord, and we will be baptizing them into a brand new name, which is just terribly exciting. They now get marked with the name of the living, saving, redeeming triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. When they go under that water, they symbolically die to this world and its sin and its coming doom. And when we pull them up out of those waters, they symbolically rise again to new life, to Jesus' kingdom and his righteousness and eternal life. There should be great rejoicing with us. All right, in a minute, each of these folks who are being baptized today will come and just share their story of faith and grace that God has given to them. But before we hear their words, I want us to hear God's words together. Uh, before we hear their stories of saving grace, I want us to spend a few minutes uh, hearing another story of saving grace that God has given to us. Please don't ever forget that God has not only revealed truth to us in his word in propositional declarative statements 
that we are called to hear, internalize, memorize, and give our assent to, but that God in his grace has also revealed truth to us in the form of story, of narrative. So we know that the scriptures are one big, beautiful, glorious story of how God works gracefully and covenantally for the good of his chosen people. And in the midst of that big mother of a story are hundreds of little stories in which the ways that God works gracefully and covenantally on behalf of his people can be engaged in by us. We learn by the declarations of Scripture. We learn through the stories of Scripture. And when we come to those stories, we always want to be asking the question of, what is God teaching me here? Who do I identify with in this story? How is this story teaching me about God? So since we're going to hear stories of God's grace from these folks today, I thought we would first hear a story of saving grace from the scriptures. The text is from the book of Acts and the 16th chapter. Let me hit you with some background and then I'll read this to you. Paul and Silas were two men uh, who did in the city of Philippi just exactly what you guys are doing with us in the city of Malden. They rolled into town and they planted a church. They began to meet people and declare the gospel to people. And God, in his grace, got involved with their stories and their hearts, and they came to faith, and a little church began to be born in this city. Naturally, because the gospel is so offensive to those who do not believe, it got Paul and Silas into some trouble. Some faith came to people who began to mess with the systems of commerce in Philippi, and some people who were rolling in the dough, were no longer rolling in the dough the way they had been before. This naturally troubled them, and so they found a way to get Paul and Silas thrown into prison. They wanted their mouths closed, and this gospel of this risen Christ and the salvation that could be found in his name silenced. That's where we pick up this story and the text of Scripture. I'll read it to you, and then we'll pray, and then I'll talk briefly. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and all the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors of the prison were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the doors of the prison were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, hey, do not harm yourself, for we are all still here. Then the jailer called for lights and rushed in, And trembling with fear, fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out, and he said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, 
you and your entire household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and he washed their wounds and he was baptized at once with all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And here's our verse. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. That's a narrative, but that is God's word and it's eternally true. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that Seven Mile Road would become a place that takes its shape from the stories of Scripture and that we find ourselves there in need of salvation and given salvation in the person and the work of Jesus. Would you fill this church with jailers? Would you fill this city with jailers and households of jailers who have come to see their need for salvation and believe in the Lord Jesus and rejoice that they have been saved. Hear my prayer and answer I pray. Amen. All right, there's a thousand beautiful things we could learn from that kind of story that comes to us in Scripture. I just want to run through three that will prepare us for understanding why we've got big stupid grins on our face today, Baptism Sunday. Right. The first thing that we see is this in this story, that God, in His grace, in his grace, brought that jailer to a place where he finally became confronted with and aware of his desperate need for salvation, to be saved. Like all of us, the jailer in this story was a lost and a doomed sinner who had spent all of his life up to this point avoiding the realities of the fiery holiness of God, of the deep and desperate sinfulness of himself, and of the coming judgment that would necessarily collide when those two things met each other. Like all of us, a Roman citizen in that city and that culture at the time, numbed himself to these realities written deeply in our hearts, insulated himself from those things. Um, fashioned a life that would let him forget about God's holiness, his sinfulness, and the need for some kind of salvation. Had a great, secure city job. You know how great and secure those jobs can be? Everything going to be that way until your pension comes. He had this incredible commute. His house was across the yard from his work. He had a big house. They had to go up into that house. He had a big family, a household to keep him busy. And his life was working and eating and drinking and being merry. Working and eating and drinking and watching Wipeout. Working and eating and drinking and checking the scores on his iPhone. Working and eating and drinking and being a merry, prosperous Roman citizen. That was his life. That was his routine. But then the God of the gospel got involved. 
he gets these two prisoners handed to him. He's told that they're street preachers who are declaring salvation in the name of of Jesus, a, a Jewish guy who had gotten crucified and they were saying was alive. He was told that their gospel message was causing havoc in the city. These men were dangerous, and so they needed to go into his prison. And he was told, make sure they don't escape. Very slowly, he was told, make sure these guys do not escape. And so he, being a good jailer, takes them to the deepest, darkest, dankiest dungeon that he has. And he doesn't just lock them in the cell. He locks their hands and feet in stocks attached to the wall, knowing that when he wakes up in the morning, his prisoners will still be there. His job will still be secure. He can continue to eat and drink and be merry. But then God shows up at midnight. His house shakes. The jail shakes. He runs to the porch. And the first thing he sees is that view that he has seen a million times. And every time he has seen it, at this time of the night, those gates are locked tight. But this time, he looks and he sees that those gates are thrown wide open. He has now been invited into his doom. His life is finished, and he knows it. You know how a captain of a boat whose ship runs aground is finished? There are no excuses You never captain that boat again. A jailer who loses his prisoners, especially the ones he was told to make sure they are there in the morning, his life is over, and he knows it. He grabs his sword. Normally, we've got shotguns on our porch. They had sword. He grabs it, puts it either to his throat or his heart. He's about to kill himself. It's finished. He is inches and moments away from death, And all the eating and all the drinking and all the being merry has been torn away and he is faced with the reality of his own death. Just before he ends his life, Paul shouts out, hey, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Stunned, terrified, this man drops his sword, runs to the prison, calls for lights, falls down trembling before these street preachers, aware of all the things that he had tried to forget about himself, this close to meeting his maker. He takes them outside of the prison and he asks them a beautiful question. It is the question that we refuse to ask in our culture. It's the question that we put away from our minds. I passed hundreds of people this morning putting this question away from their minds, eating and drinking culottes and being merry. It's the question that we only come to ask when God in his grace jolts us and awakens us and brings himself to bear on our souls. It's the question that our baptizees, men and children, have been taught to ask of themselves. He says, sirs, what do I have to do to be saved? Second thing we learn from this story, beautiful, is this, that God in his grace provided that jailer with an answer to that question, with a means of salvation. We call it the gospel, the good news that there's nothing he or I or Andrew or Jesse or Savannah or Lauren can do to be saved. But there's something 
that God has done. He took on flesh in the form of Jesus, the Son. He lived a perfect life. He gave that life freely on a cross, and then he walked out of a tomb, vindicated, given the name Lord, the name above all names, the name that gives him the right to save those that he would. That is the answer to this man's question. We hear it in two statements. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus. Man, that word Lord would have resonated with a Roman citizen. Lord, the title of authority. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. So they declared to him, however quickly or slowly, the good news that there's an answer to his question. Salvation is available in the name of Jesus, crucified and risen. This is the same gospel that we read about, that we sing about, that has been announced to Andrew and to Jesse and to Lauren and to Savannah. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Receive his work on your behalf. Put your faith in his gospel. And the third thing that we learn is this. The jailer, in his response to this announcement of salvation and good news, believed and was baptized right away. I love the parallel in this story. It says, that very hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. He, when they were beaten the day before, this wasn't like a little spanking or just a, a hard hit in a football game. When you are beaten by the Romans and thrown in prison, you are beaten with rods to within inches of your life. And so these men had open wounds still from the evening before. And the jailer, with a new heart, takes these men and finds some water to wash their wounds. And since they were near some water, what else do they do? They baptize him and the others who believed at once. And so here we talk about the sacrament or the sign of baptism following very quickly on the heels of faith. When someone in the life of our church can stand up straight and amazed with tears and say, I was lost, but I've been found. I I know my need to be saved, and I've come to see that Christ saves. I am different and changed and serving and obeying Jesus now as Lord. When someone comes to that faith, man, woman, boy, or girl, very quickly thereafter, in that season, we want to find some water and get them wet and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's their first sign of obedience in this new life. Jesus commanded them to be baptized. They have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The natural next question is, hey, if there's running water somewhere, I want to get wet. I want to be baptized. I want to begin to obey Jesus. And so, as we do this today, we participate in the story of this jailer and the millions who have, by God's grace, been jolted out of their stupor to see God's holiness and his judgment and their sin. And then to have announced to them the good news that Christ has taken their place and walked out of the tomb and life is available to them in his name and received, uh, responded in faith 
to that good news and in their first act of obedience, being baptized, having the name of Father and Son and Spirit emblazoned on their souls. The jailer, me, you, today Andrew and Jesse and Savannah and Lauren, they're not jailers. They didn't wake up one night and almost put a sword to their throat, but they have come to see their need and the provision of God's grace and are now longing to stand before you just like this jailer and say, I need to be baptized at once to show the world the grace that God has given to me. The last verse in this story should be the tone of Seven Mile Road today. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Man, we should be jumping out of our white sneakers today at the grace that God extends to undeserving sinners that we could hear their story, respond in song, find some water, get a lake, and baptize them because of the grace and the life and the salvation that he has given to them. You ready to do that with me? Uh, We ask each of the folks who are being baptized to just come and stand before you, unashamed of the gospel that is salvation to them, to grab a mic and to just say whatever's on their heart, but more than anything to say out loud, I've received grace from God. I'm ready to obey Jesus, to inherit eternal life with him. And if baptism is what I need to do to begin my obedience, then get me wet. All right, we're going to start with two men who have come to faith in our church, men that you need to care for, pray for, and love so that they may grow in holiness uh, before God in receiving this grace that he has given. Andrew's up first. He's going to come and grab a mic and uh, share his story of grace. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, I don't think I've met quite everyone, but I think I've met a lot of people. My name is Andrew Van Buskirk. Um, I've recently come to hear God's word, and I want to share with you a little bit of my story. Uh, I guess I'd have to uh, begin with sort of a sort of a, some few wrong ideas that had to be cleared out of the way when I was younger. Uh, I remember when I was, um, you know, maybe nine or ten, going to Sunday school. And the Sunday school was up above the, uh, the main um, uh, congregation area. And, you know, we'd hear the organs in the background, and we'd do little projects. And I remember one day the, uh, the Sunday school teacher was a really nice man. We were, uh, had us make little lambs out of toilet paper rolls and, um, and cotton balls. It was a good, good project, fun project. But um, <clears throat> So he, he tore open the, the bag of cotton balls, and all the kids dove in. And it was just kind of a melee for a moment as the kids, you know, grabbed as many cotton balls as they could. And I didn't want anything to do with that. I wasn't really interested in, in throwing anyone down on the ground to get a, a cotton ball. Um, <laughs> but, okay, so I, so I let that alone. And so needless to say, my, my, my lamb was looking kind of sorry at the end of that. It was, in fact, it was just a, a kind of a bare uh, tube. Um, <laughs> but uh, so... Uh, so I said this is my my first wrong impression, and so I, I kind of um, you know being a uh, I sort of thought well, what, what's this mean? I'm thinking oh this is this is the meaning of the of the, the Lamb of God. This is this is um, you know everyone's dove in and this is sort of the world and life and everyone's grabbing and, and so forth and and I sort of took that away, but that was that was completely the the wrong the wrong lesson. I I think it. Um, on some levels, stuck with me too, too far, too long because it 
it kind of put myself, you know, on the outside and kind of looking in and not realizing that um, I um, that that I need God's grace and that no one's exempt from from uh, the need for that and 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 for the fact that um, that uh, in a sense that it's not just a, a um, sort of the the God of sacrifice who, who doesn't. Um, uh, or the the God of the the the, the nearly bare uh, paper roll tube, but the the God who's there for uh, everyone and, and of whom everyone's in need of. Uh, so uh, I'm 30 years old now, and I sort of thought of myself as a, a Christian in a sense that I read the Bible occasionally. And in my 20s, especially when I um, you know would run into a rough situation, sometimes I'd read the read the New Testament or the the Book of Psalms. And, uh, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't quite the right approach because it was outside a community. It was outside the, the body of Christ. And so it was only recently, uh, I would say, in the, in the last three or four months of my life that I began to read the, the Bible in community. Um, I heard the Word of God from a friend of mine, and we began reading it together. And um, I want to share with you uh, uh, a few of my favorite verses, uh, Mark 9, 4. Uh, this is the story of um, of a father whose whose uh, little boy was convulsed with a demon, and um, Jesus heals him, and he says, "I believe, help my unbelief." And this verse has meant a lot to me because um, uh, in the beginning s- stages, and and even now on occasion, I feel like a, a Christian of, of small belief. But I, I like that I like that sort of crying out tone. Um, and I find it very reassuring that occasionally you can you can come out and and uh, and, and and make that statement and still be part of a, a Christian life. And then, um, uh, secondly, I the 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 um, the story of the Samaritan woman I kind of resonates with me. Uh, she goes to the well, and I'm not going to tell the story. You all know it, uh, but she. Um, she asks, uh, you know, Jesus, what's this living water that you're talking about, this living water that gives uh, eternal life? Um, and uh, he, Jesus says to her, um, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Um, that's, that's the water that I, that I want. Uh, that that can be gotten any other way. Uh, so I want to, to you, uh, the congregation, I want to confess my need of Christ um, and understand, too, that, um, that uh, you know, uh, Christ might be for the, uh, for, for the weak and left out at times, but it's also for everyone, and everyone is in need of him. So I I kind of need to. Uh, I pushed aside that mistaken idea and and um, understood that uh, Jesus's um, death on the cross is cross is um, uh, is is for everyone who comes to believe in Him. Uh, and finally, uh, the, the reason we can have hope is that that death on the cross was followed by His resurrection. Um, so uh, I want to thank uh, everyone for welcoming me in, into the Seven Mile community, um, and I look forward to getting wet on this lovely day. All right, I'm inviting uh, Jesse up.
to come to and just to give us a shot. Hello, everybody. I don't know if I should hold this or I'm just going to leave it there. So, okay, so my name's Jesse, and um, I have a little short, brief thing that I wrote. <laughs> so, since I was young, I've always been a believer. I always felt the hand of the Lord guiding me through my life. When I look back into my past, I realized that even when I felt lost and alone, that the Lord was there to guide me. <clears throat> it wasn't until I married my beautiful wife that it occurred to me that believing is just a piece of the puzzle, that I needed repentance and study and baptism to complete it. Never having been baptized as a child, I believe that yet again <clears throat> the Lord had plans for me. And thanks to his grace, my wife in Google, we found Seven Mile, our new home. I'm so happy to be able to share this day with everyone. Thank you all for your love and support. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Out of the way for the next one, the next two. So this is a, a first for us. We'll also be baptizing today two of our children who have been born after the genesis of Seven Mile Road. Uh, so that hasn't happened before. But remember, our fervent, fervent hope is that God will get involved with our loving and shepherding and teaching and instructing and caring for the souls of our children. And um, they too will come to believe in their own hearts, just like that jailer and just like you and I. And we anxiously, alongside their parents, await the day when they are tugging at us and saying, I believe, I, I long to be baptized. I, I want to identify with Jesus and all that, that you have taught me. It's mine now. And we have no hesitation to do that with children in the life of our church. Even just reading this week, I just read this beautiful paragraph where he said, most of the things that God has revealed to be true about himself can be grasped by a child. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so it's our delight today to be baptizing some of our, our children that God has blessed us with. So Savannah is going to lead this one off and come up. And Brent's going to stand with her and her dad. You can hold that. Okay. Hi, I'm Savannah. I want to get baptized because I want to tell other people that I am a Christian. Another reason why is when Matt said people could get baptized, I wanted to. So the next night, I asked my mom some things about it. Then for that week and a half, my mom and dad read the Bible and taught me more about baptism. My favorite verse was, I, bapti I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, Mark 1.8. So that's why I want to get baptized. The next person that we're going to have come up is Lauren. Are you ready? Lauren, are you going to read something for us? Do you want me to hold the mic or you want to hold it? Okay. I am Lauren Robinson. I love God. I was nervous at first, but I want to tell you what Jesus did for me. I am glad he died for me on the cross. Jesus loves me and loves you too. That is amazing, right? He is in my heart. And he... He and his angels are protecting me at all 
times. God made you and me, but we sin. If Jesus didn't die, we would go to hell. He forgave me for my sins. Now I will live with him forever. I want to be baptized because I want you to know what he did for me, and I love him, and I want to obey him. All right, I'm going to have Savannah and Lauren and Jesse and Andrew come up, and I'm just going to lay my hands on them, and I would ask you to press into God for prayer, for continued grace to them. Would you guys come up? You guys are going to have to squeeze close to me here, and you're going to have to come on this side, and I've got everybody. All right, let's pray. Gracious Father, thanks for your kindness. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for your perfectly done sovereign grace that you save us when our time is right, sometimes as men, as women, sometimes as children. Thanks that you have so plainly made yourself known that we don't need super intelligence to be saved, but simply to see our sin, to see your son's work, the cross and the empty tomb and to find life in his name. I marvel that we inherit the kingdom of God, holy and bright and righteous and good forever. Thanks for my brothers and my sisters who get to be a part of this household of God, the church of Jesus Christ. Thanks that your love extends much further than we could ever run. Thanks that there is nothing impossible for you. Thank you that there is a joy to be had that this world does not offer, a water that does not run dry, streams that will flow, satisfying us forever. We commit Savannah, Lauren, Andrew, Jesse into your hands. We know nothing can take them from you. Their names are written in your book of life, I pray that their feet would be steady, that their love would be sure in response to you, that as they grow and mature, the glory of God would be known and shown forth in their lives. We receive the gift of salvation. Thank you that there's an answer to this question. What do we need to do to be saved? It's faith in the Lord Jesus, our Christ. We love you and rejoice in you. Amen. Amen. Amen.